0: Okay, good evening, everybody. This is Patrick from the Poison Pen Bookstore in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're delighted to have our friend Janet Ivanovich with us. Uh, originally, it was going to be live, but we're, we're delighted in any way we can have her virtually this evening. It's going to be discussing her brand new book, Going Rogue, and Janet has been kind enough to sign a whole batch of them for, for us, and uh, I'll go ahead and put a link in the comments field. We also have these cool bookmarks, and if you're in the store, chocolate. We have, uh, we've been going through that chocolate pretty, f- pretty fast, Janet. <laughs> that's just the staff too. Um, but uh, yeah, put if you have questions for Janet, go ahead and put them in the comments field and i will be happy to ask any questions you might have. Um, I think that's it. Barbara, over to you. Thank
1: you. I think we're missing keychains. Don't we also have keychains?
2: Yeah, I know we did, um, you we know, because I've, I've been on tour and there were keychains, which which are really cool. They did a really nice job on them. Um, and, the, you and the chocolates are amazing the the foil is embossed and the little chocolates have going rogue on them and right I'll, I, I'll
0: run downstairs and find one and bring it and show it and we also have some uh, copies of uh, recovery agents still some signed copies and I'm sure Barbara will get into it but we're looking forward to hearing an update on book two in that series
1: absolutely
0: yeah. yeah so I'll disappear into the darkness until you call me back
1: Thank you. I actually put a photo of the cool chocolate in the gold foil on Instagram. They look great. So um, so Janet, you're just back from the, te- or you've just finished up with the Texas Book Festival. What's it like? Are people actually coming back to doing live events like that?
2: Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, they said that they had 250 authors there. I never actually got, you know, which is really a shame because you know, it's like you're on book tour and you're, um, you're just hopping around the country, but I never actually got to see what the festival was. I was in an off-site place and, uh, but we, we had a crowd. We had a a lot of people there. It was, it was great. And so I think, yeah, I think people are coming back. They, um, you know, every now and then someone walks through with a mask, but for the most part, people just um, seem like they're happy to be done with COVID and they're just going to, you know, go on with lives and, um, and, you know, everywhere on tour, the, the crowds have been good. It's, um, it's, it's it's really been nice to be back out there. Well,
1: I know you really like that. And you've been wonderful with the crowds um, that we've had when you've been here. Um, Tucson has a festival of books in March. And I was just curious, you know, what to expect if you felt like people were enthusiastic about showing up again.
2: Yeah, no, um, from from what I could see, and certainly from my event, you know, I was, um, I didn't know what to expect. I thought, you know, (laughs) anywhere from five to 50 to, I mean, who knows, but, you know, it was packed. We had a lot of people.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. I'm really cheered to hear that. So we talked to you last March when you were in Hawaii about the recovery agent, when you introduced a new character. Um, And I wanted to ask you if you thought writing The Recovery Agent played in at all to writing Going Rogue. Did it, you know, because a lot of people I I was looking at comments about the book talked about the plot that they felt that there was um, if this was a slightly more plot driven plum at Plum
2: 29. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I think that anytime I take an excursion away from Plum and I come back to it, you know, because from time to time I've done that, you know, the Wicked series. And, um, uh, you know, I've had several of these little mini series going. And when I come back to Plum, I always think it affects it, you know, because first of all, I see Plum with a fresher eye. I think that I know a little bit more about Stephanie because I've been in some other woman's head for a while, so, um, and I think um, even even with the plot line in here, just the fact that, you know, I had the freedom to write this larger adventure story. And I think that when I came back and I wanted to write Plum, um, yeah, I I think, you know, I do, I think it affected it because there's a coin involved. Um, It's um, from a, a, a board game, The Treasure of Gawa and that really is what, you know, people are looking for. Um, but, you know, but it's still a plum. I mean, and one of the things that was fun about this book was that Connie played a larger role, um, because Connie has been the office manager, you know, since book one, but we don't always see a lot of Connie. And actually, we didn't see a lot of her here either because Connie was kidnapped. and. Uh, Uh, But still, you know, it was Connie's book to some extent, and she had, and she had a good role at the end of the book, too, I thought.
1: She does, and the other character that um, got a lot of play in this book that we haven't seen quite so much of in action is Bella Morelli's, Morelli's grandmother, um, with her. Wicked Eye and her Sicilian background. Um, yeah, she so you decided to. Give everybody, her. the eye. Yeah. Yep, the eye, right. So Grandma Missouri's always been, you know, like a major player, but I thought it was great that Bella got to come in. Um, did you, you know, intend that from the beginning or did when you wrote this, did it sort of reveal other roles that could be amplified?
2: Yeah, no, I wanted to bring Bella in, you know, from the beginning. It was another character that, um, you know, kind of popped up as the series has been going on, and um, maybe never received, you know, a whole lot of attention. She's been, you know, kind of a walk-on here and there, but I thought she's a lot of fun, and I wanted to have more of Bella, and I think watching Stephanie interact with Bella um, was interesting, because one of the things that I wanted to do with this book, I thought it was time For Stephanie to have some self-realization, for her to start taking a look at herself as a bounty hunter and maybe thinking, you know, I'm not so bad at this job. Because we always portray Stephanie as, you know, being kind of fumbling and she's an amateur and she's been an amateur for, I don't know, what, 29 years. And, um, but the reality is, is that she succeeds and that she has gotten better. I mean, she's never going to be ranger. She's never going to be, you know, the world's best bounty hunter, but um, but she has achieved a certain amount of success in that field. And I, I wanted her to understand that in this book. And Bella kind of helped that. We, we sort of see some of Stephanie's humanity, I think, with Bella, um, because Stephanie and Bella have this Um, sort of strange, you know, chemistry going between them with Bella always calling her the slut. And, um, but we get to understand that Bella might not quite mean that in the end, because they do kind of work together in in some ways in this book.
1: Well, Stephanie, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but Stephanie and Bella have a great exchange towards the it's not a spoiler to say that Stephanie survives this book, number 29, in yeah. order to get to 30. So um, aside, from, but I, I like the way they played off each other just at the very end of the book, which will be fun for readers when they get there. Mm-hmm. Right, so you've written, this is the 29th plum. I also noticed there was some anxiety about, you know, whether there would be plum number 30, so, you know, you're not, why, why were people nervous about that? Do you, if there are any, I, any I I don't don't somehow
2: it's, it's ending? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, maybe because, you know, 30 is kind of like a benchmark number. Um, and people thought, I, um, I have no idea. There was never any anxiety on my part. I had a contract, <laughs> you know, I have, I just, I just keep going. Uh, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's the change. Have you noticed that silver is the new red?
1: I have, but I, you know, I was going to let you bring it up. I think it looks terrific. Um, why the change?
2: Did you just get bored? Um, no, I, I just got tired of the tedium, you know, of, of uh, maintaining the red. And, um, I, you know, I'm seeing more and more women going to their natural hair color. And I thought if Mae Musk can do it, damn, you know, I can do it too. I mean, the Queen of England had beautiful white hair. Um, until the very end. So uh, I thought I'd give it a shot, see what I, how I felt about it. And, you know, I, and I like it. I kind of like it. I think it's, um, it's fun. Um, you know, I mean, next month I could be red again. I don't know, but right now I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I could be purple. I, lo- I love all the different hair colors. I, I love that um, women are starting to feel like they have the freedom, you know, to be playful with their hair, you know, and put a little lavender in it or, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of green streaks. Um, you could see maybe next year, maybe next year, that'll be me. You could do it. You
1: could streak it yeah. to match your scarf or something. I did a, um, we did a charity event this weekend where there were 850 women or something. And I did notice how many women had um, color in their hair uh, Longer, mostly it was women with longer hair, you know, because yeah. then it sort of trailed along, but there were some some short and you know why not as you say I think I think the pandemic people didn't go to the hairdresser or didn't do a lot of things and that that was an incentive you know to stop coloring your hair
2: yeah well I found out I like not going to the hairdresser all the time you know I don't I don't have time I, I don't have time for, I'm a working girl you know I, know. I just um, I don't have time for that so um, I think you see uh, a lot of those—the longer hair with the with the streak color—and a lot of that is extensions too. That you, you see, um, you do. And you- I,
1: I haven't got the patience to deal with those. I find myself even resenting, although I think one really has to go in for pedicures and so forth. I mean, it's you know, just personal maintenance. But um, I find myself even resenting that time away because I could use it so much more. Productively. And then I got trapped in front of a TV that was filled with all campaign commercials. And I thought, you know, that's like a seventh circle of hell to have to
2: sit there and watch these. So Yeah, that that's not relaxing. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. Um, you know, I mean, I get a pedicure and a manicure um, regularly. And I and I sit there cracking my knuckles, you know, making lists of all the things that I could be doing. And then I get it done at a spa. I mean, and they do, I have to say, a fantastic job, you know but it's a spa and so you know i come and i'm and i'm in you know i'm in like a you know sort of a sweatshirt and a ball cap and all these ladies are sitting there in their fluffy white robes and they're all you know having tea and and i'm i'm just sitting there like let's go you know okay i haven't got all day to do this i don't want a fluffy white robe i just want you to do my toes <laughs> so i you know
1: the concept of a spa day is almost impossible for me to um understand. The only time I I ever do it is if I'm on a cruise or some sort of a trip, you know, and then it's, it's okay, but we'll see. So let's talk a little bit about going rogue and the instigating incident, which I love, um, which is that Well, you tell it, it's your story.
2: Yeah, well, I don't don't want to talk about it too much, you know, because I don't want to ruin it for people that haven't read it yet. But um, yeah, Stephanie comes in um, one morning into the bail bonds office and Connie isn't there and Connie is always there. And she realizes that um, the office has been sort of ransacked. And so as the story progresses, we learn that indeed Connie has been kidnapped and um, that um, the bad guys are looking for this special coin. And that really is, that carries throughout the entire series. I mean, that is what the book is about is rescuing Connie. And then when they finally rescue Connie, then they have to rescue Vinnie um, and then Stephanie is, well, I'm you know, I'm not going to go on, but it goes on and on and on. I, it was a fun book to write. It really was because um, I had an opportunity to keep raising the stakes. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, um, I plot out a book, and it and i and I think this is going to be great. And then, as the book goes on, I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm working really hard at this book. This is going to suck. <laughs> you know, everybody's going to be disappointed in this book because I don't know where to go from here. But but this book kind of wrote itself. I, you know, I mean, I, I really knew where it was going all of the time. And um, I, you know, it, it's always good because I write with a lot of humor. You have to be careful with humor because it can really get tedious if that's all there is. Mm-hmm. You have to have other stuff you have to have a little bit more meat in there and I would never say that I'm a really meaty writer you know I'm never going to be invited to be on Oprah or anything but um, but I had some very good advice from one of my editors when I first started and he said when the book gets boring kill somebody (laughs) and so yeah and I thought that was really good advice you know so I always make sure that I you know kill a bunch of people and, um, and if you can't kill them, at least kidnap them.
1: Excellent advice indeed. But so if it's a kidnapping, you said that your big questions then become who and why? Who, you know, who did the kidnapping and why would they? Especially kidnapping an adult. I mean, with a child, you know, there's a lot of sinister reasons that come into mind right away. But to right. kidnap a, a mature adult, um, It's not quite so easy to categorize. So did you find yourself, you know, that was what was driving you forward is they had to figure out, which did they have to figure out first, the why of it or the who of
2: it? Um, Well, in this case, you know, um, I think they fairly quickly figured out the why of it. Um, They didn't entirely know the who of it but it almost didn't matter because what they needed to do was to you know rescue connie and because they you know when somebody is kidnapped i mean you don't know what's going on with that person it could be horrific there could be you know other circumstances you let it go on too long i mean who knows they could get desperate so it really is a race against time um to a large extent in the book
1: I think all kidnappings are, you worry that, you know, if the ransom isn't paid that the kidnappers will, you know, panic and dispose of whoever they kidnapped because they don't want to get caught. I mean, there's a lot of bad things there. Um, You're in Trenton, New Jersey. So has Trenton changed? I mean, the story is, has Trenton changed much over the, I mean, this is after all, you know, 29, 30 years that you've been writing them.
2: Yeah, well, especially the bird because most of the action takes place in the bird, which is a real place in Trenton. I mean, it's Chambersburg and, you know, it has boundaries. And I talk about the boundaries, you know, in in some of the books if readers are careful. Um, And that has absolutely changed. The bird that I write about is the bird maybe, um, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago when originally it was an Italian enclave and it had a lot of great Italian restaurants and it was a place you could go to you know play the numbers and um, there was some mob guys you know living there and um, maybe I don't know maybe even 50 years ago maybe even 40 years ago but it's an evolving neighborhood it's an immigrant neighborhood and so um, the Berg is actually very different now there aren't all of the Italian restaurants there anymore you know there's you know, maybe a Portuguese restaurant here and there. And there's a, you know, some other kind of a a deli. Um, Italian People's Bakery is still there. They're still making cannoli and Italian cookies. And, you know, there are still some things that that are there. I think it's maybe even more of a melting pot that there are lots of different kinds of immigrants and nationalities in there now. And it's still definitely a blue collar um, little neighborhood. Um, Trenton at large. I'm not sure how Trenton at large has changed. Um, I certainly, uh, because I don't spend a lot of time in Trenton. Um, you know, I still have relatives in New Jersey, and if I want to do research, I it's mostly centers around the Berg. I work with a big map, you know, to look at where the hospitals are and where would they be, and um, you know, where's where's the cemetery because you know um, a cemetery plays a role in this, and I have to make sure that. I mean, even though it's fiction and I change places, I make sure that nobody can find where Stephanie's house actually is in the bird because we don't want people showing up on their, you know, doorstep and saying, you know, can I see your kitchen? <laughs> so so I fictionalize some of it, but you know, other places have to have some um, bit of reality to it. So how big,
1: a, you know, how big a place do you, I mean, to have a bail bondsman, you know, there for all this time, is there you know does it need certain kind of community size to support having a bail bail bondsman or you know it doesn't seem to me um well is there a lot more crime is that why they need a bail bondsman or is is a bail bondsman going to be found everywhere i don't really know
2: um i you know i think um bail bonds can be found everywhere um as it happens And, and when i first started this series this was a very viable business and there were several in Trenton, um, there they no longer have uh, a cash bail bond system. In Trenton, um, many many states have done away with it, um, and so they have a different sort of um, system, which actually you know I think it works fairly well. Um, it's sort of complicated. I'm not going to get into all the details now, but um, but they don't have the same kind of bail bonds that I have in my book. Again, that's when I started this series, um, you know, what, 29, 30 years ago, and I did research. I hung out with the cops. I hung out with the bail bondsmen. I went around with bounty hunters, um, and that's really what I'm still writing about, but um, that system no longer exists in New Jersey, um, and, in, and in several other states, too, and, you know, there's this big push um, for, you know, defund the police and change the, you know, the whole bond system. And I don't want to get into that because I have, you know, my own my own uh, feelings about that too, um, which I try to, I work very hard at keeping my politics out of my books. I think that I'm an entertainer. Um, I see my role as being entertainment, as I'm the happy writer. You know, you know that my books are going to end well. You know that, um, you you know, I'm going to have good people in there. I mean, bad people too, but my hero is good. My heroine is good. They have a crazy family, but they're all basically good people. It's a book about community, you know, whether that uh, community is family, whether it's the people that you work with, whether it's the community that you live in. And these are the things that I put in my book. And I actually work pretty hard at keeping politics out of it because I just don't see my role as being that of telling people how to vote or how to think. Um, I think everybody has to figure that one out for themselves. So, um, so I, don't, I, I try to avoid the issues of, you know, because, because the police that I write about uh, in my books are, are good. You know, Joe Morelli is a good cop and he works hard. He believes in what he does. And um, that's the ideal, right? That's the cop that we want. I mean, we we want people like that out there, protecting us, caring about us, being excited about the job, about being able to contribute to the community. You know, so I guess in in many ways, you know, I'm writing about the ideal, about the way we would all like it to be, and and maybe it can be. You know, if we all work together at it, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember, but the, the
1: last time we did not event together live, which must have been in November of 2019, you talked about, you know, what what people expect an Ivanovich book to be, what your fans expect it to be. And I think you just summed that up. And, you know, phrases that I run across from your fans are like, you know, it's comfort reading, it's entertainment reading, you know, it's a safe place to go. Um, and, you know, and I I, I agree that I think, if you're writing a really long-running series like this that keeps bringing people back, there has to be a big emotional connection with it.
2: Um, yeah, I, I think that people get attached to the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, you know, they they like them. Um, they they like having that the comfort of that entertainment level. But you know, Stephanie. I mean, I, Stephanie is is a pretty average person. And I think we all pretty much know Stephanie and her family. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I kind of took it right out of, you know, my own experience. And I think that I'm a, I'm a very average person. Um, We're all um, very close to that whole immigration movement, you know, whether it's um, Hispanics today, or, you know, for me, it was Eastern Europeans that, you know, flooded into this country. I'm second generation American and, you know, had the same values and had the same work ethic and, you know, work to um, each generation to make a little bit of progress at achieving the American dream. And I think, you know, people, this resonates with people. They, they understand this. They, they, you know, they want to be a part of it and, and the characters are appealing. I mean, you know, of course, I have you know two sexy guys and everybody likes to read about that that's right out of my romance days but then you know then there's Stephanie and then of course there's Lula um who you know can just get away with saying and doing anything because Lula that's who Lula is you know Lula is about attitude and she has this just great attitude about her she 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 can't be defeated she's sure that um she's going to lose weight and she's going to be a supermodel and then when that doesn't happen then she's sure that she can go to college and um and be a lawyer you know when that doesn't happen then she's sure that you know she's she she's she's such a positive character she's just always out there and she's kind of um uh like you know a big grandma right because both of them feel like they can be whoever what they want to be they can wear what they want to you know lula can wear her, you know, short spandex, two tight dresses, and 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 just look great at it, okay? Because she has that attitude, you know. It's like Grandma, who at her age, if she wants to wear, um, you, you know, Pilates pants and and uh, you know a sports bra or whatever she can, dye her hair red. You know, I went gray. Grandma went red. Um, she could, you know, she can do that. Well, she can. And don't you think that's the
1: multi-generational? Um, I mean, you know, it's not like they're all the same age. So you're able to bring in different, um, different attitudes and different aspects um, for these characters because of the span, you know, from Grandma to Stephanie. My own mother was a lot like Grandma Mazur, and she loved Grandma Mazur. She always, you know, yeah. really enjoyed reading about her. And I used to sort of chortle and wonder to myself if she saw herself as Grandma Mazur the way I saw her as Grandma Mazur, but I never brought
2: it up. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, this is true for a lot of people when I, when I um, go out on tour and um, I, I look at the people at the signings and we have so many multi-generational groups coming through, you know, whole families you know, um, great grandmothers, grandmothers, um, moms, kids, you know, that are all reading the books, they're all, they're all sharing it. And, um, and they're all liking it for, you know, and and a lot of them are laughing, you know, because one of them is grandma Mazur, you know, and one of them is Stephanie. And, and one is the mom, I mean, the poor mom, you know, she's the adult in the family, she's the only, she's the only real adult in the family she's the pivot
1: you know and, uh, which which sort of on which it all all hinges you you probably wouldn't remember but i think the first time we did a live event together maybe it was book 7 somewhere along in there and we had a a large space but it quickly became too small because so many of the fans were young moms who st- showed up with strollers and, yeah. you know, I watched the fire department, you know, the the librarians were hosting it and I'll just panic as more and more people with strollers were piling in and coming up onto the stage and we were all going, you know, if the fire department shows up, we are toast. But, uh-huh. you know, yep. you were really appealing to young mothers so much then it was clear from the way they turned out. Um, and so maybe they've, you know, maybe they've brought their own children now who are young mothers along as you've you know, 30 years is a long
2: time. 29 books is
1: a really long arc in people's lives.
2: Yeah, I, um, I was at a signing on this tour and a woman came by with um, um, with a younger woman with her. And she said, um, this, is, this is my daughter. And uh, last time I saw you, um, she was an infant in a, in a carriage, in a stroller. And I was like, oh my God, you know, because, uh, you know, this girl was like, you know, in college, <laughs> I know it's really and unnerving. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so and now she's reading my books, and so it, I, it's, um, you know, it's just so enjoyable to see this. It's, it's fun. Doesn't even describe it. You know, it's just, it's. I, I don't know. It's, it's that you can be a part of people growing up and growing old and changing um in life and going through hard times and good times and and um and you go out on book tour you know and there they are and you're like all part of their experience um because while they were doing all of these things they were reading the plum books and growing up yeah it's, it's sort of overwhelming you know sometimes they 're standing there and they're talking about it and you know I almost don't know what to say because it's um it's just a very emotional kind of thing you know to be part of that to to be and I'm like you know how lucky am I how did I ever do this How did this ever happen to me you know because I was always I was the weird kid I I was a total screw up in college I graduated at the very bottom of my my class in college, I mean, and my poor parents, I mean, oh my God, what they had to endure with me as a child. I mean, I wasn't a bad kid. I just was weird. You know, I was always in my own world. I was an art student and, and I would, and I, I lived at home. We couldn't afford for me to um, live at school. So I commuted and I would bring all these art projects back home, right? And then my mom wouldn't know what to do with them. I mean, because you know she'd have them in the attic, and eventually they'd have to get put out on the curb, you know, for garbage pickup on Thursday. And she'd have them all wrapped in quilts, you know, or or sheets or something. She wanted anybody to see these weird things her daughter was making. Um, So, you know, and here I am, you know, and with this kind of amazing success that, um, you know, that I'm attached to all of these people. I mean, it's just. It's, you know, it's just overwhelming sometimes. It's hard to understand how that happened. But I mean, it's a good thing because if I didn't learn how to write books, I'd be a complete failure. I couldn't do anything else. (laughs) Well, I
1: think, you know, you you obviously acquired a lens through all that experience, a lens that allows you to look at the world in such a way that you can write your books. If you hadn't been a weird kid, if you'd just been a normal kid doing normal things, you probably wouldn't have developed it.
2: Yeah. I also think that um, people who achieve a certain amount of success are people that have to have that success. Like, I think if you're really well-adjusted, you know, you don't, you don't need to have the entire world love you. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I never have enough people reading my book. I, I, you know, I, it's not enough to have, you know, people in New Jersey like it. No, no, no. I have to have, I want, you know, world conquest, I, the more people, the better. And I think that's, you know, that's like sort of a sign of mental illness or, or something. It's, I think if you're really, if you're really well adjusted, you know, you're happy, you know, just being in your, your own little world and your family. And, um but, uh you know, it's like me and Elon Musk, you know, we have to keep we have have to keep going to
1: car Janet come yeah, on we have
2: now. to keep selling cars you
1: know <laughs> yeah. now don't compare yourself to Elon Musk that's that's really <laughs> you know ridiculous I, you know I don't know it's a very it's a very interesting theory um I'll have to think about that because I find myself actually trying to push back and bringing my staff forward i don't I don't like to be um I don't like to be famous and I'm not, not in anywhere near the level you are. I've been doing this for a really, really long time, longer than you've been writing actually. And so that same dynamic, I mean, I have seen people come into the store, you know, that were young when we started that are now bringing their children. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when they were young, their mothers came in and now their mothers are, many of them unfortunately have passed on. I mean, I'm always kind of hesitant when I go down and I see, you know, What was a child, and she's now by herself. And I'm always sort of afraid to say, "Where's your mother or your father?" Because sometimes the answer, you know, is is a difficult one. We've even had people die and leave the store money in their wills. Wow, I know, which I find fascinating. So that's amazing. That's wonderful. But maybe you know, maybe what it is 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 what you were talking about. I think it's about building communities. You're building communities with your books. We're building a community through your books. Uh, But, you know, maybe, maybe it's all that sort of sense of family or creating, um, you know, creating a place where people can talk about ideas, not just about what they had for dinner. And we keep politics out of it, too. Believe me, we have really tried hard not to take any kind of political
2: stand. And it's very difficult sometimes. Well, you know, it's not about fame, because fame actually isn't very desirable. That's true and you know i mean when you're a kid you want to be you know rich and famous and you want to be a movie star and everything but the fame part actually when you achieve a certain amount of notoriety the fame part is not good the good part is that it's just that you're you're enlarging your family you're creating this communication with all of these different kinds of people and you're contributing something you're, you're contributing something to their lives. I mean, nothing that big, but you know, if I can make somebody smile and be happy for 20 seconds, I think that's pretty good. You know, that's, that's like, that's enough. And it's like the more people that you can touch that you can affect that way, that's, um, you know and it doesn't really have anything to do with fame. It has to do with enlarging this worldwide family. You know, that you have that yeah. and and also that they like you. I think that's a large part yeah. of it. No, I that, think we all want people to, to like us, you know, to think we're um, you know, we're good, we're contributing something to their lives. And I you know, so I was faintly surprised when you know, when I realized
1: that what we do touches lives. I went to BoucherCon, the big mystery convention in Minneapolis, and we were only there basically for a day because I had wanted to take a cruise down the Mississippi River forever. And thank God I did it because now it's drying up. But, you know, we've been down rivers all over the world. And I said to my husband, you know, it's time that we do the Mississippi. And the convention was in Minneapolis. So you're there, you know, at the St. Paul to St. Louis run of cruising the Mississippi. So we just had the Friday. But it was really interesting. Everywhere I went, people that I've don't know, never seen before. Would come up to me and say, "Thank you, you got us through the pandemic. All your Zoom events, you know, it gave us, um, you know, a place to go and things to talk about." And I thought, well, how wonderful, how really wonderful it was to been able to do that for people. Yeah, it's a byproduct of running, you know, a retail bookstore. I mean, you know, I mean, we didn't start out to be anything more than that.
2: But it's surprising how it can blossom out in different ways. So do you think that the pandemic changed the way people um, find entertainment and and read? Do you think more people are reading or less people are reading? Or are they reading differently? Yes. Um, Because pre-pandemic, we were really in this kind of free fall with losing bookstores, um, losing, you know, major chain bookstores, um, everybody moving into Amazon, and then even people moving into Facebook and to other forms of, um, you know, entertainment rather than buying and reading books. And then the pandemic came and I felt like there was a shift.
1: I think you're right. And what's really interesting, you know, we started out to be, I mean, mine, as you know, was never intended to be a commercial bookstore. It just kind of turned out that way. Um, But we started out with a specialty of crime fiction because I thought, in 1989, when Barnes & Noble was really blossoming up, based on my experience with law and so forth, that it was very difficult to be a generalist. You really needed to be more of a specialist if you were going to have an impact. So I thought, you know, mystery was thing I knew a lot. My mother, who was still alive then and lives here, knew it a lot, and so that's what we became. Um, And we kind of stayed in that channel. We expanded it slightly to thrillers, then Clive expanded it into adventure, Diana, expanded us into outlander which is unclassifiable but basically that was our core during the pandemic i do the restock reports every week to see what sells the first thing i noticed was that classics not just crime classics but classics all across the board were really selling people were finally going to read or in peace or whatever so big big uptake in classics so we went from a small selection to a very large selection the other category that has really blossomed up self-help. I never, it never occurred to me that, I mean, that The Poison Pam would sell a single self-help book, but uh-huh. now it's really blossomed out. Poetry has become a subsection. I mean, we only have so much room in the store, so I have to be careful, but poetry has become one. Um, and the other really good news, the best news about it all, is the astonishing amount of children's and young adult literature That we sell, we never did that before, and now the turnover uh, is tremendous. And I find myself ordering all sorts of things that wouldn't have occurred to me five years ago or four years ago that you know we would order and sell. And that brings in Janet different readers. It's a different community now. We're getting moms and strugglers looking for picture books, or we have a group of teenagers. You know, they're all tattooed with exotic hairdos and the whole bit, but they're over there in the young adult section and. At Halloween last year, not this immediate one. Uh, we we live in a gated community, so we don't have a lot of callers. And so I was just turning off the lights so we could sit down and have dinner, and the doorbell rang, and I opened it. And there was there were all these teenagers there, and they were all in costumes and you know, the whole bit. And I opened the door and they looked at me and they went, poison pen. And I thought that's I they have wow. never seen me at the bookstore. So the only way that they could have recognized me was that they were watching all the Zoom events because they had not seen me live. You know, I'm not there on Saturday. And I thought, wow, that is so different.
2: Yeah, uh, do you think that um, they're still watching Zoom or do you think that now that things have opened up, um, they're moving away from the screen? You know, I think we're, I, I really
1: don't know. It's a big question that we are asking ourselves is, you know, what is our audience going to be. We are finding that our virtual audience keeps going up and our in-store audience is not as large as it was. Um, but the book sales have held absolutely steady or gone up. So mm-hmm. somehow or other, it's, it's just working differently. But Phoenix is a city Janet that has no public transportation. People have to drive. So they're mm-hmm. affected by the price of gas, by weather you know, right. by a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, the city fathers are going, wow, we're gonna have the Super Bowl, which we are in February. And I'm going, oh my God, nobody will come to anything because they won't even be able to get, you know, across town. So I shifted everything for that week, you know, to a virtual event because it's bulletproof. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't know how it's gonna go. I, I'm, I miss the larger live audiences, but the virtual audiences have been, so responsive and so interesting
2: I, I you know i just I just can't tell um how well, you know that- we, we, we all got used to buying online too I mean yeah. I mean people buy everything online, you know food, yeah you know they they pull shopping lists into the food store and other people gather it up and sure. um, you know, and del- and deliver it and I, I mean I buy tons of stuff online that i that three years ago I would never have. And, and now I'm used to it and I like it. You know, it gives me more time for one thing. Um, and for another, you know, with the supply chain, sometimes you go out to a store and you can't find anything. Well, and so true. just mentally, I mean, I think mentally we have all come to accept this new way of living.
1: I think you're right. But I also think that people are social animals. And I do think that the, you know, the impetus to go out and mingle personally, I think it's gonna slowly come back. You know, I mean, it's not that, I agree with you for convenience and all kinds of things, shopping online. I do it myself to a much greater degree than I ever did before. But that, I guess that's a, a question is what is it we're actually selling at the bookstore? Are we selling books or are we selling in fact, conversation and community? And the book is the access to that. And so, you know, should we be focusing on perhaps fewer events and more sort of community kinds of gatherings? Uh, I don't know. I feel like we're really in transition and I don't have any answers to it yet.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I don't either. I think, I mean, the, the good thing about, you know, your bookstore is, I mean, what you're selling is you're helping people to find the right book you're helping to enlarge their horizons you know because you go into a large chain store or a box store and they're all displayed there and um it's confusing you don't know, you don't know what to go i mean okay so you you've heard a couple names and you go to those names you know um james patterson and or but for the most part people who want to read a book um it's like going to netflix you know and trying to find something to watch on television and so the service that you provide when someone comes into the store, I mean, that's, you can't get that online. They can, they can come up to, you know, people in your store and say, you know, I want to read a really good mystery. I like this kind of book. Do you have any more like that? And you can help them. Um, so, you know, and we need more of that. That's what's, that's the missing ingredient today after the pandemic, I think, is that we've lost a lot of that. And we need to get a lot of that back, whether, you know, not just in books, but in, you know, lots of other things, lots of aspects of life, we need to get back to um, people helping us find what it is that we want
1: that's true. I mean, you know, we are ruthless communicators. I write to them endlessly. People always say to me, you know, why don't you write a book? And I think, you know, when would I fit it in? <laughs> all, the, all the stuff that I'm, I'm already writing. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we're not robots. You know, we're not algorithms. And we actually read the books that we sell. Um, and I think that that does make a difference. But You know, I I think trustworthiness has become a big question, you know, with with all of the um, deep fakes and all the rest of it, you know, can people rely on you to be what you say you are? Um, And, you know, I think that's true in your books too. I think people can rely, let's go back to your books instead of the bookstore. I think people can rely, you know, on, on you being honest with them, with your characters, you know, being real people. Um, even though they're fictional. And I I did want to ask you before we call up Patrick, you brought in some new quirky supporting characters. And I really like the guy who dresses up at Lancelot. I mean, that's that was inspired. Where'd he come from?
2: Yeah, well, don't we all want to go around, you know, dressing up like Maid Marian and Lancelot and being heroes? You know, I mean, this this goes back to, you know, another another theme for me is, you know, heroes. Um, yep. because I think uh, heroes are so important in life, and we have um, you know, little heroes um all over the place. I think that a, a man who goes to work every day and brings back a paycheck and supports his family is very heroic. and um, and and then we have people like this guy who has, um, you know, he wants to be a hero, and he and he has, um, uh, you know he has a fantasy life, and he's 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 kind of like you know Lula and Grandma Mazer. Um, he's willing to put himself out there and put on his Saint Lancelot costume and and live the life, you know, and go out and protect Stephanie, stand in her hallway with his sword, and um, and make sure that you know she she comes to no harm. And so I, I mean, he, he, heroics he, heroic people always find their way into my books in some way or another. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, an offshoot of it. That's kind of the the most obvious, but um, I thought he was fun too. I like that guy.
1: Absolutely. I think one of the fun things about reading your books is you're never quite sure who you are. I mean, you know, some of whom you're going to meet and you want to see them again, but then there's always the possibility that somebody like Lancelot oh. going to come along that you will not. You also are pretty consistent with the food thing. You know, there are, donuts, there's chicken in a bucket, you know. Are there, I'm trying to remember, do we have an exploding car?
2: I'm sorry, do we have anyone? Is there an
1: exploding car? I'm trying to remember because I read this book some time ago. Is there a car? Well,
2: she destroys Ranger's Porsche. Okay. Um, Grandma Bella actually um, gets in the car. Uh, Stephanie um, arrests Grandma Bella at the funeral home and she's transporting her in Ranger's car and um she steps out and grandma belly gets behind the wheel and drives the car off and impales it on a tree and the car catches fire and um it oh. cars okay. nothing more than a little melted plastic on the ground when by the time he gets there I, I always i love when i can destroy you know rangers cars i mean you know i always have to destroy cars in the books you know people would be disappointed if i didn't i would too but um you know when the rangers car it's even more fun
1: Absolutely true, and then one final thing I noticed that there was a lot of anxiety uh, and a constant debate. Is it going to be Morelli or Ranger? Um, you know, people keep waiting for Stephanie to make a choice. I, you know, um, isn't there a third character that's sort of out there too, who's just a faint possibility or am I, am I misremembering? Didn't you have some other
2: hunky guy? Diesel. Diesel, okay, right. Diesel from the Wicked series. Um, Diesel originated in the Plum series. Diesel was in the Between the Numbers books. And then he went off to have his own series in the Wicked series. I i did what did I do? Three of those, I think. And um and I could never get back to him, but he's actually my favorite guy. Well, well, my new favorite guy is Rafer in the recovery agent. Yes, um funny. Rafer is Diesel in disguise. I mean, Rafer and Diesel have a lot in common. I couldn't get back to the to the wicked series so I so I put a lot of uh, diesel into Greifer. You know, cuz they're just these big scruffy guys that um you know that are lovable but they're also a little annoying, you know, maybe a little sarcastic sometimes and um but but still, you know, very special and again, you know, heroic in in their own way. So, um yeah, but I, you know, I don't I, I like I like that there's that tension. And that is probably the hardest part about the series is keeping that going. Um, I mean, oh my God, you know, I'm on I'm on book 30, dirty 30. And <laughs> it's dirty 30. And uh, you know, and I'm still trying to keep, you know, the the excitement of the relationship alive between these three people. It's like sometimes I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I can't believe I've been doing this for all these years. It's a very tough act to follow, and I
1: I think readers would be disappointed if you ever come down, you know, and say this is it. Um, so probably you'll I, keep. I, it.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine. I would have to turn it into like a family saga, you know, and then she would get pregnant, you know, and there would be babies, and then you know, and I, I can't right. see that
1: we don't don't want to go there Patrick do you want to come join us and see if there are questions and also you can show the cool keychain that we got to go with our
0: autograph copies absolutely yep Let's see if I can see if it shows ding, ding, ding. can you see it there ah there yeah, it is. yeah. 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 very nice yep got yeah. a whole bag of them so everybody gets one with their book and a cool bookmark and a chocolate if you're in the store um
1: and the staff hasn't aced you out staff hasn't, uh, it wasn't intended caught. for staff we need to have some sort of standards guys come on yeah
0: <laughs> um
1: yeah I ate,
2: I ate my share at book signings i have to admit <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a great
1: wrapper that gold coin thing is really yeah. good, looking yeah, it's good
0: there are a lot of people chiming in um A lot of just really nice comments. Uh, Gina says, I really loved seeing some new alliances and got to know Bella better. Uh, She says, I was also so happy to see Stephanie realizing that she's gotten better at her job. Mm -hmm. Nice comment. Yeah. Um, I think Janet's hair looks terrific. A number of people weighing. This is a good one. Robin says, hello, Barbara and Janet. Early in the Plum books, I shared them with my mother-in-law. I didn't warn her at all. Uh, the next morning she came into the kitchen and asked if we heard her laughing. Uh, she read into the wee hours but wanted to leave a bit more for the next day. Thank you so much for writing these books uh, that we enjoy sharing. And yes, I'd also love to see more of Diesel. We have some <laughs> Diesel fans in here too.
2: Okay, we'll buy the recovery agent and see if, if uh, Rafer reminds you of Diesel.
0: On cue, we still have a handful of signed copies of the recovery agent. So
1: And also a question, is there going to be a sequel to the Recovery Agent next
2: spring? Yeah, absolutely. yeah. and we're 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 trying to take it to television. I mean, you know, um, that's always been the missing ingredient in um, my career. I uh, had one movie, and um I, so um you know I'm hoping it's it's such an ideal project for television. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt that and the Wicked series were the two things that would be successful on the screen. And so um, I have a new agent and she's working hard at it. So we'll see what happens. But there will definitely be another recovery agent coming out.
0: Great. Um, let's see. When you guys were talking about the, you know, the Zoom versus live events, that sparked some nice responses. Um, Tommy says, I love your Zoom events because I get to see my favorite authors that I wouldn't be able to see. I know a lot of people are in remote places that don't have many book signings and that's a, that's a really nice benefit.
2: That's true. Um,
0: yeah. Robin says, I've been a book a book in my hand person for 50 plus years, no interest in ebooks or audiobooks. Then the pandemic, in conjunction with our retirement mo- move, brought firmly into loving them both. I'm so very thankful for these online events. Um, yeah.
1: Let me ask Janet a quick question about your audiobooks. I noticed that several people had talked about how much they liked the narrator, Janet. Or, um, are you pleased yeah. with her as
2: well? Yeah, Lorelai King. Um, she's been um, doing the books for, you know, in the beginning we had, um, you know, different act- actresses um, doing it. And then finally we found Lorelai, and she's been the voice of Stephanie for years and years. And she's become a, a good friend. Um, she's great. She's um, an American living in um, London, but she's over here recording. and. Um, we get together from time to time and she's an actress and um, she was actually in Notting Hill with um, Julia Roberts she was the publicist
0: to Julia Roberts
2: in Notting Hill yeah but she's she's great and I think she does an amazing job and audio is an increasing um, I, I find my audio sales are really picking up I don't know if it has to do with the pandemic or what it is but um, for a while there, they were kind of you know, stagnant, but we're seeing a, a lot of audio sales now. And, um, and it's the same thing. And once you hear somebody reading audio, it's like that instantly becomes the voice of that person. It's very hard for people to move away. So we're happy to have Lorelei staying with us.
1: Oh, wow, that's wonderful. I think it may have to do, you know, as people are getting more active and driving again and all the rest of it, they don't want to leave the story behind. And audiobook lets them do that. You can't drive and read um, or garden and read and whatever. So there's a real role for it. There's a company called Libro.fm that, in fact, its model is to share um, revenue from its audiobook sales with the bookstore that the customer has come from, so to speak. So it's a very small income stream, but it's nice that we get a little something from it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, good company. Anything else Patrick?
0: Let's see. Caitlin would like to know, will you be touring closer to North Mississippi? It's a dream to meet you.
2: Um, No, I'm pretty much done with my tour. I have one more event in in Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow, and then I go back to writing books. Then uh, I'm not going to be touring for a while again, not until another book comes out. Although every now and then, you know, I get invited to a special event, to a festival or Whatever, and I I get to go out and you know have fun on a a couple days and and see people. But uh, sorry, I'm, I'm done. But you know we'll keep that in mind for the next one. Yeah, have you have you signed in Oxford before? I haven't. I, I know that's like huge because isn't that's uh, Grisham's? Um, yeah, story, isn't it? Yeah. Square and, books. Uh, I've never yes. been there. I would love to. So maybe, maybe
0: I'm not sure where in, where in Mississippi Caitlin is, but at some point, maybe you'll sign there, who knows? Um, who knows? Let's see, Sally just has another nice comment. She says, when my husband was hospitalized, I'd read your books aloud to him and he really enjoyed them. Wow. Thanks for making his illness more enjoyable.
2: Nice. Yeah,
0: love the quirky characters. Um, and then also, let's see, Gina says, I definitely rely on Janet and her books for something funny, but also very relatable. The characters feel like family. Can't beat that.
2: No, 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 no. Yeah, that, that's what I'm. What's you know, that's what I'm trying for.
0: What do you like to read, Janet? That's another question that's come in. Who do you, who do you read?
2: I read cookbooks, <laughs> and and I can't cook. I'm I'm really a lousy cook, but. I, I don't read fiction. I can't read fiction because I'm always writing my own book. And um, there's something about, you know, reading. You're very active when you're reading and you become part of that story. Um, I can watch television. I can go to the movies and it doesn't bother me at all. But if I read fiction, I go to bed at night thinking about that story and not, not about mine and when i wake up in the morning I, I want to finish reading that story i'm not writing mine so um, i really don't read fiction but i but i love cookbooks um i'm like a cookbook junkie you know it's um uh but I, but I, but i i can't cook i don't <laughs> i don't cook actually i i have a chef and he cooks for all of us um you know he cooks for you know my extended family and the neighborhood and whatever and he Gives me, you know, because then I can devote all of my time to writing books. So it's, uh, um, and I've been that
0: way for a long time.
2: Yeah, and I'm very popular because you know I have this guy that distributes um, cookies and and lasagna and whatever (laughs) you know throughout the uh, the family and the neighborhood. I think that's
0: about it, Barbara. I mean, there are a number of. She's touched on most of the other things. Do you have? Have you already said what revealed what the title is going to be for the uh, recovery agent book?
2: No, we don't have recovery agent. We have Plum. Plum is Dirty Thirty, um, and, and um, but we haven't uh, we haven't got a title for recovery agent. And I think recovery agent is not due to come out until twenty four. Okay. Um, I need a longer time to write. Wait, wait sorry, it's my my dog's pills. The, I don't know. Could you hear the alarm go off. Um, it takes me a longer time to write the recovery agent because I have to do research for it, and because it's a you know it's a newer project and I'm still developing the characters and getting my voice as the writer for that series. So I've asked them to allow me to have more time to write that book than I write. It takes me um, about five months to write a plum. And um, it takes me maybe about nine months to write a recovery agent book. So I think it's scheduled for 24. Oh, Unless so I get inspired and I, you know, <laughs> get dirty, dirty off, off my desk faster than I would imagine. And I just take off and, you know, write the next one. You never know. Do you well, shoot
0: for a specific number of words every day? Uh, what's your no. process
2: like? Um, no, um, sometimes... I, five pages, I I have a 300 word page. I I try to set myself up the same way that the book looks. Um, So I have a 300 word page. And if I do five pages a day, that's a good good day for me. Um, I try to always get a page a day. Sometimes I don't, sometimes, you know, I just, it requires a lot of thinking. And, um, you know, I might get a couple sentences. Um, but then usually the next day I'll have a good day. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get five or six pages. So but I don't I don't set you know limits for myself. I don't I don't try to achieve something until I'm late when I'm when I'm almost done with the book and I think I'm gonna, you know, like blow my deadline. And then um I'm trying to make pages and you know, like at about four o'clock in the afternoon when I'm feeling really brain dead, they throw bags of chips in at me,
0: you
2: know, then <laughs> with a bottle of wine. <laughs> I mean, you give me a bag of Cheetos and a bottle of wine, and I am brilliant. I am, I just, I can rip those pages off. <laughs>
1: Hello, come here. You can come and say hi. Oh, I've just been invaded by puppies.
2: Oh, There's my. God.
1: Hi, Scooter. Oh. There you are. They've been locked up for an hour, so oh. they're ready to roll. Aren't you, baby? You want to go? Okay. Poor Joe. Um, they're really cute. They're Cavapoo twins, and they look absolutely nothing alike. He's all white and long and skinny, and she's black and short and muscly, and they're a real pair. Our older dog has taken a long time to get used to them, but now now they're like a constant rolling dervish kind of a thing. That's fun, that's nice. It is nice. Anyway, Janet, it's been lovely to see you. Thank you for spending an hour with us. And I'm so glad that we have um, copies for all of you. And thank, I want to thank Janet for also taking the trouble to sign them at home and sending them to us, which is hugely appreciated. Sure. So um, I hope that next November when things are calmer, we'll be able to do this live.
2: That would be great. I would love that.
1: I would too. We've really missed you. So thanks so much. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.